Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a fantastic privilege to be able to share with you on what is an incredibly hot uh, but typical summer's day uh, here in uh, Adelaide, South Australia. It's uh, it's so good uh, to have you with us. Uh, this week, uh, we've been following the theme of Prophecy, the Bible and Nostradamus. Today, we're chatting on the question, how specific is biblical prophecy? We really want to dig into this one because, and you know, one of the most beautiful things is uh, the way that the, the Christian scriptures reveal things that are just clear and concise. And we've been looking at our, our friend Nostradamus this, uh, this week, and we've noticed how generalized and how, uh, how infrequently he's actually able to get things, uh, correct. Uh, so much of what he shares has to be interpreted after the event. There's no such uh, discussion uh, in the in the scriptures. Uh, today, uh, our uh, our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher. Now, David is the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. Now, David, welcome aboard. Hello, Gary, and uh, good afternoon, listeners. It's wonderful to have you on on board once again. I know our folk really appreciate the feedback that you're able to give. How are you enjoying our summer? Look, um, we had, I think, in South Australia and many parts across Australia, didn't we, one of the wettest winters on record um, uh, and wettest years on, on record. And um, our summer in South Australia began slowly. It was sort of a mixture of even very cool weather. But, um, yeah, last week and this week, um, certainly some warm weather. So, yeah, 36, 38, 40, those sorts of things. And, um, look, I really love the dry heat. Um, yeah. Don't say I love 38 or 40 degrees, but I love dry heat. A number of weeks ago, I was up on the central coast of New South Wales, and it was um, the opposite. It was so humid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was out walking this morning. I have to admit, when you're out walking between six and seven, and it's about twenty six degrees, you've got to start to see. You know, uh, this is this is starting to get fairly warm. But you know, we have had an incredibly mild summer, and down here in Adelaide, you tend to get a heat wave at some point uh, through summer, and often it goes on for a, a week or more. We haven't had that at this stage, and this one here, I would regard as a fairly mild heat wave. Actually, I don't think it's quite as bad as what. It's, uh, what has it been in previous years? No, and look, you've been around uh, the planet and uh, this uh, particular location longer than I have, so I take your word for it, Gary. Yeah, thank you so much, David. Appreciate it. Well, look, David, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment. Now, look, I'd like to chat with you something that is really developing in the Christian world at this point in time. Now, um, and I'm referring in particular to this thing being called the Ashby Revival. Uh, now, of course, this is happening over in America, and if you go into the religious press, uh, you can find multiple accounts of what is actually happening. Now, Ashby, of course, is uh, a uh, uh, a private university uh, based in the United States, and uh, 
to me, what is occurring here is something that's worth uh, worth chatting about. Now, uh, the, the it first came to my attention when I I noticed a uh, an article in in the Christian Headline site that uh, uh, talked about the Ashby revival passes one hundred consecutive hours. People don't want to leave is what uh, uh, what the article said. Now, uh, this is uh, uh, how the article explained what was going on. Uh, as a spontaneous revival at Ashby University passed the 100-hour mark over the weekend, a pastor who visited the campus as an outsider said he was moved by what he had experienced and that he didn't want to leave. The revival began on Wednesday when students stayed long after a regularly scheduled chapel service in Hughes Auditorium uh, on the uh, on the university campus. Others soon joined them. We've been here in Hughes Auditorium for over a hundred hours, praying, crying, worshiping, uniting because of love. Uh, said uh, one individual. Several hundred are gathered in the morning hours, but the crowd filled every seat by the afternoon in the 1,500-seat auditorium. Worship is glorious, unified and simple. A piano and a guitar are led by various student teams who understand that worship is not performance. Within the uh, first hour, uh, we had moved from a spectator, the writer had moved from a spectator to a humble participant. When the microphone was open for testimonies, he wrote, there are long lines of grateful people telling what God has done in the last 72 hours. Healing, both emotional, spiritual and physical, has happened in glorious ways, he wrote. Very real and profound things are occurring quickly in hundreds of lives. There's no pretense, pride or show, no manipulation. You wouldn't want to leave, uh, said this writer. The scripture was read this afternoon for a long time by multiple people washing over the congregation. After each scripture, the response was the word of God and we believe it. Uh, this reporter urged Christians to pray that the revival spreads elsewhere. Pray that God would send revival to his church and a mighty awakening to the lost, he wrote. Ask, uh, ask him to manifest himself in power so that millions can be brought to Christ and that the church can rise again to its missionary calling. Pray for the acceleration and rapid expansion of the gospel, for his kingdom to come as I spoke to the hotel receptionist this morning, she told me that all the rooms were sold out. So many people are coming to town to witness uh, this uh, this revival. Now, uh, that was the first article that I noticed, uh, David, and to me, it it, it really said something that uh, that deeply challenged me. Well, the very next day. I get um, uh, you know the same the same site and uh, and there's a, another report and this report was entitled a mighty move of God Ashby University revival spreads to two more schools and uh, this is what that one said a week after revival sparked uh, Ashford uh, Ashbury University in Wilmore Kentucky several other Christian schools reported revivals breaking out on their campuses a mighty move of God started this morning at Lee University 
university and it's been building throughout the day. We're approaching the 10th hour, nothing but voices in prayer, worship and repentance. Update, update, it says later in the article, 12 hours, still growing, still worshipping, still repenting. Early Tuesday morning, uh, Fultz noted that the students were still worshipping inside the chapel. 1.30am, salvation, deliverance and healing are here. In an update on Thursday morning, Fultz shared that Lee University had ended into a fourth day of revival. It's 4.15am, entering into the fourth day. This is what I'm witnessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In addition to Ashby and Lee University, a revival in a Baptist university in Cedarville, Ohio, reportedly broke out this week, with students participating in non-stop prayer and worship. David, these articles just keep on going. These are all in the current religious press. Um, the, the very next day, uh, there was this article, Ashby University uh, Revival Spreads to the Fourth University, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Ashby University revival has entered its tenth day. Friday has uh, uh, Friday has spread to multiple other schools, including Stamford uh, University, which is experiencing its own movement of God with student-led worship and prayer, which has stretched uh, now for forty-eight hours. Um, According to the Alabama uh, Baptist, a newspaper, the unscripted revival began on Wednesday when a student walked into Reed Chapel and began to softly play worship songs on the piano. A university spokesman told the newspaper, soon a few students heard the music, walked into the chapel and began to worship along with the student. The newspaper reported that by 2 a.m., there were 200 people in uh, in that chapel. Now, David, you know, to me, when I'm noticing a string of articles, uh, to me, I'm just so conscious that uh, what uh, what occurs in one place in the uh, world in which we're living today is more than likely to spread to many, other many other regions and other places. Now, this is something that I really would like to like to just ask you a few questions on because I mean, you're a pastor, you've got a a lot of a lot of experience. Now, look, I'm I'm not wanting to speak for or against uh, this particular revival because there are true revivals, there are also false revivals and certainly in my case the thing that I'm conscious of is that at the present time I simply don't have enough information uh, to be able to assess uh, this particular revival one way or the other and you'll understand why in just a, in just a moment I, I believe but look David the question I'd just like to put to you is this is you know what does a genuine Holy Spirit uh, driven revival what does that really look like I mean could this be one Look, it could be, and and the Bible says by their fruit you will know them. Now, yeah. fruit takes time, doesn't it? And and yeah. that's why uh, the the comments you've made. You don't want to make any judgment at this stage on it. Um, it often it takes time to see what fruit is born. So, how do you tell a genuine revival, or what is a genuine revival? First and foremost, uh, Jesus in Acts chapter one talks about the promise of the Father. He wanted them, his disciples, he's about to leave them. He wants them to wait for the promise of the Father, which we find out later on is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So a genuine revival is is caused by the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart mm-hmm. uh, and a 
an acceptance of that. Uh, it's an awareness of one's own sin where one has strayed and gone wrong and departed from God. It's a, a, a confessing and a turning away from that sin and wanting the Holy Spirit to live within us, wanting God to cleanse us. So let me share with you a couple of verses mm-hmm, if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, John chapter 16, John the beloved disciple, he says in uh, chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 8, And when he has come, this is in reference to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. So this is the role of the Holy Spirit. This is what has to happen for revival. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And and so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts our heart of sin. Our our, our, our minds are seared. Our hearts are um, are seared when when we... are prompted by the Holy Spirit and we realize and we acknowledge that we have done wrong. And interestingly, Paul uses some of that similar language when he's before some of the Roman um, governors, etc., mm-hmm. and kings. Mm-hmm. But um, Psalm 51, mm-hmm. we've got this beautiful picture of what really wasn't a beautiful picture before. David, the king, uh, the man after God's own heart, has um, committed adultery with Bathsheba. He is responsible for the death of her husband, Uriah, and when Nathan the prophet comes and points out his sin, he was trying to hide it. Mm. Uh, This is what we read. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And then he says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. When we're convicted by the Holy Spirit that... that, um, uh, we reek of death, we reek of sin, we're toxic... When we understand and grasp that, there is this desire, innate desire to change. And here is David saying, cleanse me, you know, wash me, blot out my sins. Mm. And then he confesses, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Sin is like a weight around the neck, uh, a heavy weight when you're in the ocean trying Mm -hmm, to swim. mm You will drown, you will die unless it's confessed. And so David confessed his... So this is part of revival. You've got to confess. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Conviction, confession, repentance, turning away. And then he says... um, He acknowledges that he's done evil before God. Against you only have I sinned, he says. And then he he cries out um, uh, in verse, uh, verse... Seven, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. He wants to be clean. Mm. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He says, you know, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. And then he says, create in me a clean heart. Yeah. He wants to be renewed. So this is what revival is about. And um, look, I I love it in, in, in... Acts chapter 2, where uh, Peter is preaching this powerful sermon of the the Jewish people, if you like, or the leadership Mm. responsible for the Messiah, Jesus' death. And when he preaches that, uh, it says they were cut to the heart. Yeah, yeah. And they say, the people that were cut to the heart, the listeners said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Yeah. And the response was, you know, repent and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, it's a turning around. At the end of that chapter, we read, it says about 3,000 were added to the Lord. Mm, mm. In Acts, and we're going to move to Galatians shortly, but in Acts chapter 26, Paul is detailing his um, conversion life before um, King Agrippa. Yeah. 
And Paul is probably the greatest of the New Testament examples of someone whose life was changed, was revived, if you like, and reformed. And before King Agrippa, he is giving an account of his conversion, and he says in verse 19 of Acts 26, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So he was given a vision. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should, listen to this, they should repent Mm. turn to God and do works befitting of righteousness. Mm. And so these are key things when it comes to revival. Let's not focus on the external gifts, sorry, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to enable ministry to happen. They're Mm. important, but they're nowhere near as important as the changing of the heart. Yeah, yeah. You know, David, uh, some time ago I actually uh, uh, did actually spend some time uh, doing actually a formal study of um, the history of revivals uh, throughout um, the the entire Christian church. And to me, it was one of the most beautiful and instructive things that I've, I've certainly ever done because uh, revival is something that has come uh, with regularity through the Christian church. And when it does come, it's incredibly powerful. But, you know, the thing that I'm, I've noticed, uh, that I noticed in my study, was that uh, the revival seemed true, genuine uh, revival that went for uh, sometimes years, actually had some common elements. And I, I'm really interested that you pick up that point of confession of sin. Because in uh, in revival after revival where there has been genuine revival, the first mark has been uh, the people have been convicted of sin. Mm. There's been a conviction of sin. There's been a repentance towards God and each other. Uh, because where I have wronged somewhere else people have actually gone and made those wrongs right. So there's been a conviction by God, repentance to God, and uh, and also repentance towards each other. Of course, that brings people into unity, into uh, into one accord. And then and then you get a you get a, a reformation is connected to it, and you get a, a I suppose a, an obedience to Scripture. You know, people and a return, longing, don't you? And a design. longing to come back to the Word of God to come back to what the scriptures are actually saying. And, and, you know, in revival after revival that I had the privilege of studying, uh, those marks together with the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. Galatians 5. Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, that list in Galatians chapter 5 is so instructive because when the Holy Spirit has come, you get fruit being developed. Now, I'm really interested at the very beginning of what you shared. Uh, you actually said something I think that is so important. Fruit actually only comes on a mature tree. Mm. And uh, sometimes you don't see the fruit Immediately, you know, and so sometimes to jump to a conclusion and say, "Hey, look, you know, uh, this is definitely one thing or the other," it's not of God. Is is actually is something you've actually got to be very careful of, uh, but rather uh, to actually say, "Hey, look, you know, uh, there is such a thing as genuine revival." You know, to me, as I look at the scriptures, uh, you know, can I do I want to appraise this? No, I don't want to appraise this uh, this particular revival yet because it may well be of God. It may I don't know. 
I haven't got enough information. Uh, but you know, the thing that I do know is that what scripture is constantly calling uh, God's people back to is this thing called revival. And Gary, there hasn't been a genuine revival that hasn't been based and founded upon prayer. Yeah. Throughout history. And Indeed. you see it there in Acts chapter, chapter one and chapter two. Indeed. Of the, the early Christian church, the disciples praying together. Yes. Ten days of prayer, if you like, in that upper room. Yeah. And that's been repeated over and over again throughout history. Yeah, yeah. No, I really that and that is of course the the number one element. You know, people come together, they pray together, they're convicted of sin. As a result of the conviction of sin, uh, there is a uh, there is a confession, there is a, a confession to God to their fellow man. Uh, there is an obedience, there's a return to to scriptural principles, um, and the fruit of the spirit become evident in the life. Uh, to me, um, how do I know when uh, I believe a, a revival is genuine? I believe, again, by coming back to the Word of God and just simply saying, hey, what does the Word of God say? And I think the key for us here is for each of us personally to take this on board. Yeah. Yes, um, there is a role to, to make sure we're not deceived or to test all things, hold fast to that, which is good, as the Scripture says. But ultimately... First and foremost, where am I at in my walk with the Lord? Mm -hmm. uh, does my spiritual life need reviving? Yeah, yeah, no, powerful, powerful questions. This is such a this this, this uh, these events at the present time are, are issues that we need to be aware of, and I think even take on board in our own lives. Let's come to uh, uh, a beautiful song, El Shaddai. This is Michael Card's version, and uh, I believe you'll greatly appreciate it. May the Lord richly bless you.
to see what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand that your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your Son. Was a, that was a that's a real real beauty by uh, Michael Card. Uh, love uh, love the words and uh, of that worship song. Folks, we do have for you today a giveaway book. Now, this is a real little ripper. Uh, once again, uh, the uh, the book's uh, title today is The Four Winds of Revelation. Now, this book has been put together by um, Pastor Kenneth Cox. Now, Kenneth Cox is an evangelist of renown. David, do you know Pastor Kenneth Cox? I do. A very powerful preacher, um, no longer alive, but yep. the legacy that he has left um, and, and his ability to explain Explain Bible prophecy is is significant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now look, he is a guy that he is straight to the point. He is clear and he is concise. Uh, and look, I, I would recommend this guy. I love listening to him myself, uh, and uh, uh, really appreciate the uh, the written material. Now, this is one of his books, The Four Winds of Revelation. You can't turn on your television or open your internet browser without the next catastrophe hitting you in the face. The toll taken by natural disasters, flooding, fires, drought, tornadoes and more grows worse every single year. The world appears to be coming apart at the seams. In the Four Winds of Revelation, Pastor Kenneth Cox examines what the Bible says about the crises we are facing and shares what it tells us about the future. Should you be afraid? Uh, no. This this book really does uh, dig in a very beautiful way uh, into, the, uh, into the incredible uh, prophecies of the book of Revelation entitled The Four Winds of Revelation. Now look, if you'd like this particular book, grab your pen uh, right now. Uh, what you need to do, just jot this number down. Our drive time text number, now this is a text number only, is 04 
80811. And all you need to do is to text us uh, the code for today. Now, the code is SA104. No gap between the SA and the 104, just SA104. One zero four. Now that will trigger our robot, and uh, he'll ask you a, a few a few questions so that we can get this book to you in a super fast uh, fast time. Uh, I believe you'll greatly appreciate it. the Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Cox. Oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven, and that code again is SA one zero four. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. David's our regular Wednesday co-host and he's also the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. And this week we've been following the theme, Prophecy, the Bible and Nostradamus. And today we're chatting on the question, how specific is biblical prophecy uh, now you know, David. To me, this is a a theme, this theme that we've been following uh, this uh, this week. Uh, we've we've noticed uh, on both our previous days that uh, the the prophecies given by Nostradamus tend to be incredibly general in their in their form and actually need to have material read back into them uh, in order to make any sense of them. And yet, uh, what we're starting to to ask today is is biblical prophecy very much the same or is it far more specific in its in its form um, does that, that's a great question do we it? need to read back material into them in retrospect Help yeah, us out they look great question um, and and the simple answer and the straightforward answer is no we don't so let's go about trying to prove that shall we but what I want to do is to take our listeners and um, uh, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and um, Jesus has uh, begun to call um, or ask some of the, uh, these fishermen to come follow him. And we pick up the story of uh, Philip and Nathaniel. And um, uh, basically, uh, Jesus comes across Philip um, and uh, in Galilee, and uh, Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, Philip follows Jesus. This is verse 44. Uh, and um, Philip's from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip goes to Nathanael. And these are good Jewish young men. Mm. And Philip says, Listen, we have found the one who Moses and the prophets have spoken about, Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Philip is saying there is prophecies in the Bible, and the Bible they had was the Old Testament. New yeah. Testament didn't exist. Yeah. Philip is saying we've found the one that the Scriptures have been referring to, pointing to, predicting to. Wow. I mean, now, now that is incredibly significant that you say that because in order to be able to, you know, he must have had an understanding of the word of God, but he's not reading back into it, but rather what he's able to say is that on the basis of uh, all these uh, uh, these Old Testament passages, and there are so many Christians today who undermine the Old Testament and say, hey, it, you know, it really doesn't matter. And yet what you're saying here is, hey, it was absolutely key for identifying uh, who 
Jesus Christ was. You can't have the new without the old, and even calling it the old and the new is probably a disservice. Yeah, this yeah. was the, the the Old Testament is full of the gospel. It points to Jesus Christ, and um, so much so. So we've read John one forty five. Yes, yes, yes. Then we go to Luke twenty four, the book just before, and this is the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. and uh, we know the story. It's the resurrection morning. The disciples are heartbroken in grief and trauma, and you name it. And two of them, Cleopas and a friend, are leaving Jerusalem, downtrodden, heartbroken, headed to this small village of Emmaus, about 11 kilometers away. And, and they're talking amongst themselves. Jesus, who was risen from the dead that morning, his visage, his person is, is hidden from them. Mm. Uh, partly supernatural, but partly, I believe, because of the grief they're experiencing. And he says, hey, what are you talking about? And they say, look, have you... Were you born under a rock? Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem these last three days? And they then start saying that there was this Jesus, this prophet of Nazareth that uh, had great promise, but he was put to death. And um, they say now is the third day. Then um, finally, ultimately, Jesus um, begins to uh, challenge them. That evening they invite him to stop in in their home. Uh, They prepare a meal, and as he breaks bread, as he gives thanks... They recognize him instantly. They rush back to Jerusalem to the upper room and um, and basically they share what they've seen. But before any of that happens, in verse 25, Jesus says to them, this is to the two, two disciples, he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Mm. And, of course, that, that same thought is repeated in verse 44 mm. and uh, where he says exactly the same thing. These are the words which I spoke to you uh, while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. You know, David, to me, those passages are just so powerful because it... We've got here Christ is upholding the Old Testament. He is, and and in upholding the Old Testament, and he's saying all these things are about me, what is he declaring about himself? Mm-hmm. He's basically saying, I am the Messiah, I am Lord, I am God. And it is folly if we choose to reject that. So that's a bold claim. It is. Muhammad, it is. Confucius, Buddha never made those claims. That they had been foreseen before they actually lived. Yes, and Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Yeah. And so yeah. I want to challenge our listeners as we begin this Bible study um, the world sort of says, look, this is all made up, you know, Nostradamus, there are other people, there are fortune tellers and mediums and channelers. Yeah, go to them. Mm. Go in, back. in fact, at the beginning of every single year, you'll find the media will dig into Nostradamus. This, in fact, if you go back in the uh, in your search engine, you find that, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, the media has reported on what's supposed to happen this year, and it all comes from Nostradamus. Of course, most of it never happens anyway, uh, but I wish they would come to the Word of God and just look at what the Word of God is actually saying. It's not in. It's not trendy. It's not uh, doesn't generate good news. <laughs> It doesn't, doesn't, no. Matter. No, no. Ah. So, Gary, I want us to look at, Jesus said in, in Luke there um, that, and then um, Philip said to Nathaniel, uh, that essentially the Old Testament, the scriptures of their day, 
were filled with predictions about him. Mm. And if we can sense, and not only sense, if we can have certainty that the Old Testament uh, predictions of a Messiah to come were fulfilled in Jesus Christ and they're found in the New Testament, not just one, not just two, some suggest 300. Yeah. Yeah. And if they were fulfilled to the letter then how dare we, in a sense, uh, wrong word, but uh, who are we no, how, to sort of... Um, how, how dare we undermine the testimony of Scripture? And what fate is there if we don't put... What is the result yeah. of not putting our trust in the man, the God-man who is alive in heaven and who has fulfilled all of these prophecies? So, Gary, what I want to specifically do is get us to look at a handful of these prophecies from the Old Testament. So let's um, go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 and 18. And these are predictions about about Jesus. Now, some of these could not be fulfilled. They couldn't be made up of, of Jesus later on, thousands yes. of years yeah, later. Thousands of years earlier, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it says in Genesis 22, 15 and also verse 18, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And and um, uh, later on we find out for, that Abraham was the father of the faithful. Now, Abraham is recognized as a father of the Jews. Mm. Jesus was born a Jew. Mm. And we find in John chapter 4 the fulfillment of this. Mm-hmm. It says there, this is the woman at the well, and she says, How is it that you, speaking to Jesus at the well, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Mm. So, firstly, we find out the prediction that Jesus or the Messiah would be a Jew. We find that here. We find also in Isaiah that um, uh, that the Messiah would be from the lineage of David. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, this famous passage mm. that says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us, unto us a son is given. And at the end of that little passage, it says, um, The Prince of Peace... Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. And we know from the New Testament, uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 20, verse 30, two blind men, they cry out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Mm. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, we discover uh, Jesus saying, I am Jesus, I am the offspring of David. Mm. This is in this is in Revelation, and the reality is, it's what the prophecies have actually said is that the uh, Messiah has to be the offspring of uh, a particular line, and that's exactly the way it worked out. Absolutely, and look, one of the classic ones for me, Gary, that I really appreciate is the prediction of where Jesus would be born. Mm. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I couldn't imagine or begin to predict where my grandchildren, if, if they yeah, end up yeah, existing, yeah, yeah. where they would be born, yeah. let alone a prophecy that would be seven to 800 years given in advance. And yeah. The Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Though you are little among the na- um, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. everlasting yeah. This is uh, pointing back to the divinity of Jesus. Jesus goes back to everlasting. There is mm-hmm. no beginning, and out of this small little place called Bethlehem, yeah, he would be born. 
and, and, and let's face it, Bethlehem is not a major town by any stretch of the imagination. When that prophecy was, uh, was written, uh, you, you see, this, uh, this town is, this is an insignificant, but significant, but, but most significant, it talks about Bethlehem Ephratah. Yes. Why does going. it talk Bethlehem Ephratah? Because there was two Bethlehems. Yeah. There were two Bethlehems. And so when you talk about, you know, prophecies and predictions of Nostradamus and others being general and you've got to read into them, yeah. the, the Bible author here is so specific. This is 700 odd years before Jesus is born. Yeah. And yeah. the actual little town is pinpointed. Yeah. Now, what's the big deal about being born in Bethlehem? Well, um, it's interesting. Scripture predicted it. But when the Jewish religious leaders who knew their scriptures saw Jesus, they didn't see him as a fulfillment because they believed he came from Nazareth. Because that is, in fact, he was known as a Nazarene because that's where he lived when he came back from Egypt. But he was born in in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And even that is a miracle, right? There was a census. Yeah. And uh, Joseph takes his wife. Because that's where mum and dad were living. That's right. So he heads back there. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, which fulfills this prophecy 700 years before. And, and you find there the fulfillment of that in Matthew 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So there are some other ones as well, Gary. Uh, I guess a virgin birth. Yeah, let, let's come to that in just a moment if we can. Let's uh, let's come to a little bit of music at the at the present time, uh, and uh, and then I'll get you to bring it together at the very at the very end. Uh, enjoy Gavin Chatillier. This is uh, as water uh, to the thirsty. Love uh, this particular music, Gavin. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing with us.
And that is uh, Gavin Chatillier, uh as water to the thirsty. And indeed, uh, how much do we need that living water uh, that th- flows uh, from Jesus Christ. And folks, we do have a giveaway book to you uh, to give to you today. It's really worth. I'd encourage you uh, to pick up this book. It's entitled The Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Cox. Uh, Kenneth Cox is one of the prince of preachers. Uh, he's is uh, now deceased, uh, but he certainly talks about the era in which we are living. Uh, he's talking about hope uh, for the future. Look, if you're going through uh, challenging times, this is a book that I would I would encourage you to to request four winds of revelation by kenneth cox if you'd like this particular book your own copy it's totally free of charge oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven is our uh, number that's our text number a mobile text number oh four triple eight eight oh eight Eleven, uh, and all you need to put in that text is our code uh, for today. Now, uh, our code for today is uh, SA one zero four. No gap between the SA and the one zero four, and uh, we will. Uh, that'll connect you to our robot. And uh, our robot will ask you a few questions uh, so that uh, we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Four Winds of Revelation, uh, 04888 and that code again is SA104. Uh, and look, folks, if you've got any uh, any comments that you'd like to make too about uh, anything that we've discussed on today's program or tomorrow's, uh, yesterday's program, uh, feel free to text us on that exact same number. We're more than happy uh, to receive your text and to uh, and to share your thoughts uh, with uh, with others. Uh, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church right here in South Oz, and uh, this. This week we've been following the theme prophecy the bible and nostradamus and today we're chatting on that question how specific is biblical prophecy david i really appreciate uh, what it is you're sharing because what these prophecies are just so clear uh, so to the point it's not something that anybody would find difficulty in arguing over. Are there any others? There are, Gary, and clearly there's a lot we cannot get through if there's 300. There is the virgin birth, that um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years before Christ. Yep talks about the Messiah being uh, born from a virgin. Luke one twenty six to 35 shows the fulfillment. Um, there are so many other things that there would be a forerunner that would go before Jesus. That's in Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi 3 1 as well. And then we find a fulfillment in Matthew 3, verses 1 to 3, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it says there, and he, he refers to the prophecy in Isaiah. So there are so many um, ones we could look at, but I want to choose a couple more. Um, and um, Psalm 41, verse 9, mm-hmm. gives us this picture of, um, I guess, uh, Jesus' betrayal and who it was by, a friend. Psalm 41, 9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Mm-hmm. So this is written um, hundreds of years prior, right? Mm-hmm. Psalm 41, verse 9, 
When we go to the fulfillment, we turn to John chapter 13, verses 18 to 26. And it says here, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now he's talking to his disciples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread. Now we read in Isaiah, um, for, uh, sorry, Psalm 41, verse 9, where um, the psalmist says that it'll be one who ate my bread. So we discover here that it was one of Jesus' friends, a familiar friend. It was Judas yeah. that betrayed him. Yeah. Um, we discover in Zechariah 11, verse 12, what the fee was for betraying Jesus. Zechariah, hundreds of years before, I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. This is uh, pointing to Judas. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for me my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, verse 12. Mm. We see the fulfillment hundreds of years later in Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought to betray them, mm. betray him. You know, David, it's interesting that you are constantly referring back to, to Matthew's gospel because the thing I'm conscious of is that in Matthew's gospel, he is continually picking up what is his Bible, and his Bible, of course, is the Old Testament, the Old Testament. and he's quoting from the Old Testament. You know, you go to uh, you know Matthew uh, chapter 2 there. You've already mentioned this one here. But uh, um, So they said to him uh, in Bethlehem of Judea is where he's going to be born. For thus it is written by the prophet. And then they quote from the Old Testament. They recognize in Jesus you get the fulfillment of, of prophecy. You go a little bit later, you get the uh, the, the babies uh, being killed by, by King, Herod. King Herod. And um, uh, Matthew records, then this was fulfilled that was wrote, that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and then he quotes what Jeremiah the prophet uh, actually actually said. Uh, and Weeping then, in Ramah. Yeah, yeah. You know, to me, I, I just look at this and I just say, hey, why was it that those early disciples were just so confident about who Jesus was? It's because they had the Old Testament, because they saw in the Old Testament the fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ. They had complete faith, absolute yeah. complete trust and faith. I want to give you another one, Gary. Um, we talked about um, one of Jesus' friends betraying him. Zechariah eleven twelve said it would be 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26 tells us that's fulfilled. Zechariah eleven thirteen says, I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. This mm. is predicting that uh, when uh, Judas Iscariot um, died, the money was used for a potter's field mm. as a burial place. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 7 says there, they consulted together, this is the chief priests and rulers, what they do with the money. It says they yeah. consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Mm. And um, it's interesting. I just want to point out some points here. How marvelously specific is Bible prophecy? We've talked yeah. about yeah. Nostradamus not being, you've got to read things in. Uh, in these three prophecies we've looked at, um, being betrayed by a friend, dipping of bread in a, in a, in a cup, um, the 30 pieces of silver, the money being thrown, uh, used for a potter's field. Listen to this. There are seven points that come out of these three three uh, prophecies. Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. Sorry, he'd be betrayed by a friend and not an enemy. Mm -hmm. you, you don't normally, you know. Uh, he'd be betrayed for 30, mm -hmm. not, not fewer, 30 pieces. 
mm-hmm. of silver, not gold, mm-hmm. of silver, very specific, which would be thrown down, not placed, thrown down in the house of the Lord, not elsewhere, thrown down in the temple, if you like, in front of the religious leaders. And the money would then be used to buy the potter's field, not used to put back in their own coffers, not used for something else, bought to be used for a potter's field. So if you look at just those three passages, mm. you've got these seven specific undeniable fulfillments written hundreds of years before but fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this must give incredible trust for me today. I mean, to me, as I look at that, I mean, this this is the relevance of this thing. I turn around and say, well, why are we why are we making such a big issue of this of the specific nature of scripture? Uh, to me, it's because I can actually have incredible confidence in the word of God. You know, if I can have confidence in the word of God on these things, then surely I can have confidence in the word of God for other issues as well. Look, absolutely, Gary. And in the Garden of Eden there, what did the serpent, we know Satan was uh, had hijacked the serpent, if you like. Yeah. Satan yeah. was behind it. He was questioning, trying to cast down and bring doubt to the word of God. Prophecy gives us hope. It gives us certainty that what has already been fulfilled unmistakably, uh, don't have to read into it, perfectly fulfilled, uh, in the coming of Jesus, his first coming, we can look forward with certainty, not uh, a blind faith, but with certainty that because of what has already been fulfilled in the past, we have certainty that what is yet to be fulfilled will definitely be fulfilled. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to fear. We can have absolute confidence. Yeah, uh, to, to me, that is the that is the point about uh, this this entire issue. Uh, when I come to the Word of God, there are so many today that uh, simply say, "Look, it's, you know, it's an old book. You know, can I trust it? You know, uh, well, yes, I can, uh, because it actually spoke. Uh, the Old Testament prophets spoke to Jesus' day, but those same prophets also had a great deal to say about our own." Day, you know, David. Here today, we haven't even gone into uh, uh, the book of uh, the book of Daniel. And to me, there's a very beautiful prophecy about concerning Jesus Christ. It's called the seventy week. Yeah, uh, Daniel prophecy. chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine. And of course, that prophecy. We don't have time to go into it today. But what it does is it gives the very time. This is a time prophecy, and says this is the year the Messiah is going to appear. Uh, and to me, when I look at that, I say, Hey. There is, I've got confidence because it, what was predicted was fulfilled to the very year. Now, if I can have trust in that prophecy, surely I can also trust the other prophecies. Predicts his sacrifice and everything. And yeah. so, and Jesus regularly said in the Gospel of John, My time has not yet come. Yeah. But when the time did come, that final Passover, the fulfillment yeah. of, of a significant part of that uh, 70th week of that 70 week prophecy, uh, we have absolute confidence. Jesus knew the timing. Indeed, he did. Indeed. Uh, Gary, I'd love to read a, a, a verse in John chapter 20. And uh, this is for our listeners, for each of us. The beloved disciple says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. Prophecy is not just about ticking boxes, the fulfillment of it. It's about that we may have life. We may believe and we may have life in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have prayer together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, I want to say thank you uh, for giving us your word. Lord, thank you uh, for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for giving us exceedingly great and precious promises. Uh, Father, I just pray right now uh, that you might uh, touch uh, any who right now who are struggling. Lord, I'm just conscious that there may be some listening to us who are struggling financially, maybe some who are struggling with health. Lord, maybe some who are struggling uh, with, uh, with family issues, with relationship issues. Lord, I just pray that you might be with that person, you might touch that person, you might give them peace. Uh, for this is the promise of your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, my friends, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan uh, are going to be uh, looking at the question of uh, did Christ trust the Old Testament and the ancient prophets? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart and the peace I give. Isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.